Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Growing up, I loved Christmas. I'd write out my Christmas wish list, the Pokemon cards, Star Wars Lego set, the Super Smash Brothers N64 game I wanted. And when I dropped that list in the North Pole mailbox, the center of the mall, I hoped with everything in me that I would get these gifts for Christmas, expecting each one of them to to level up my life in one way or another. A few days before Christmas, Nana and Papa would arrive and we would make Christmas puzzles and decorate Christmas cookies and, of course, attend our church's Christmas Eve service. My favorite Christmas song was Silent Night, which may or may not have been because it was the telltale sign that the Christmas Eve service was about to be over. When we'd get home, my siblings and I would race upstairs, we'd get our PJs on, we'd come down, we'd put cookies out for Santa and carrots out for his reindeer, and then we'd all gather on our couch in the living room, which was conveniently red and green striped, as if it was made for this moment. We'd read Twas the Night Before Christmas, and then my dad's book, Twas a Shepherd's First Christmas, all about the true story of Christmas. When it was time to go to sleep, I'll be honest, sleep was hard to come by. I'd sometimes lay awake for hours trying to fall asleep, and and after I did fall asleep, I often would wake up early on Christmas morning. I think my record was 12.25 a.m. That's a lot of waiting for a kid. But when the clock struck seven, my siblings and I would head to my parents' room and my grandparents' room, and we'd wake them up, and then we'd scurry downstairs to see the tree. And like Buddy the Elf in Times Square, it was like, wow. Now, the rules were that after opening the stockings, we could open one gift before breakfast. So you had to choose wisely, or should I say guess wisely. Then after breakfast, it was an all-out frenzy. We would open presents as quickly as we could, tossing uh, the bows to my papa, who would stick them to his face, and, and we would then eventually play with our toys. Some, some Christmases, we would open presents so fast that we'd be done by 8. And then by 10, the disappointment would set in. Not because I didn't get what I wished for, because I did and the gifts didn't level up my life like I thought they would. Have you ever gotten what you wished for, but only come to realize it wasn't what you expected? We all have, and not just at Christmas, right? I mean, we got the new iPhone, the new shoes, the new car, the new house. Uh, We got the new job, we moved to a new state, we started a new dating relationship, but the weirdest thing happened. All of our problems came with us. Have you ever gotten what you wished for only to realize it wasn't what you expected? This isn't just our story, it's humanity's story, and the people of God are not exempt from this. In fact, it's the plot line that led up to the first Christmas. And it didn't just start days or weeks or months 
before the first Christmas. Actually, it was over a thousand years before that first Christmas that the plot started to develop and thicken. And in this series, The King Has Come, we're going to take a look at this journey of the people of God and what their experience was like when they got what they wished for, but it wasn't what they wanted. And we're going to see what we can learn as we live our lives today. If you got a Bible, we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So you can follow along there. If you need a Bible or a place to jot down notes, be sure to check out our free church app. Now, the year is approximately 1050 BC, and Samuel is the judge who's ruling over Israel at the time. Uh, From the time that, that God led the Israelites out of Egypt, gave them the promised land, Uh, the people of God, the Israelites, they kind of had this cyclical relationship with God. Uh, God was their king. He, He reigned, he ruled, he brought victory and provided all kinds of things for his people. But they would often, as we often do, they would, they would turn from God and they would go their own way. And then life for them wasn't good. So they would realize it and God would raise up a judge to lead his people and point them back to him. Now this happened again and again and again for really about 300 years. There were over a dozen judges that led God's people, the Israelites. At this time, Samuel was the judge leading the Israelites. But Samuel was growing old, so he placed his sons in charge. But his sons didn't follow after him, and they certainly didn't follow after God, hence our story today. Now, as we jump in, let's pause, let's pray, and let's ask to hear from God. Lord, we come before you and we ask that you would speak to us right here, right now. That you would help us see how you want us to live our lives in a way that's honoring to you and is good for us and for others. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Picking up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verses 4 through 5. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. The Israelites didn't pull the punches. They they blatantly and bluntly told Samuel what they wanted. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Remember, Israel had a king, God Almighty. And he was an incredible king, an amazing king king. God had led his people out of slavery in Egypt, parted the Red Sea so they could pass on dry land, instructed them how to live by giving them laws at Mount Sinai, and then he gave the promised land to them, providing victory after victory after victory for his people. God just wasn't a king. He was an amazing king. Now, The Israelites, they weren't supposed to be like all the other nations. Yeah, sure, the other nations had a human king, but that wasn't God's plan for them. God's plan was that that he would reign as king and his people would be different from the other nations, distinct. In fact, the other nations would see how the Israelites lived their lives and they would want the Israelites' king to be their king. That's what God's hope and plan and desire was for his people. But you know what takes the the zing right out of amazing? Comparison. Comparison sucks the joy right out of what is. And if we're not 
careful. Comparison is going to suck the joy right out of us, too. And there is no time that we are more susceptible to this than Christmas time. Not only are we trying to keep up with the Joneses' Christmas light show, we want their gifts, we want their Christmas parties, and we want their vacation to Disney as well. Church, can we make a pact together that this Christmas we aren't going to play the comparison game? We aren't going to let it suck the joy out of the season for us. So instead of uh, envying their gifts and envying others' events and experiences, instead, let's be a people who just enjoy this season for what it is and what it truly means. Having been told that he's old and that, and having had his, his sons just cast aside as leaders of the Israelites, uh, how do you suppose Samuel responded? He actually responded how you and I should respond when the air is taken out of our balloon too. Listen to this. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. Back in our plotline series, we saw uh, the story of Hannah, actually Samuel's mom, and how when Hannah faced adversity, what she did is she prayed. That's, what, that's how she responded. That was her first response. Now here, we have Samuel, Hannah's son, Hannah's answer to prayer. And when he too faced it, faces adversity, how does he respond? He prays first. How cool is it that the, his this son is like his mother? When others come down on us, when what is is crumbling beneath us, when we're passed over for someone else, how should we respond? Well, let's be a people who are like Samuel, who are like Hannah. Let's pray first. Because prayer is the difference between our best and God's best. When we pray, we invite God into the equation of our lives. It would be foolish not to pray. But we're, we're no fools, so we are a people who pray first. And, and like Samuel, and like you, there are times in life when people say things to me that are hard to hear. And, and when that happens, you know, it could be uh, how I heard Amanda with something I said or how I said it which just makes me feel like a failure of a husband. Could be feedback I received from a coworker that makes me feel like I just blew it. It could be criticism on why I said this or didn't say that in a message, making me feel like I can just never win. Whatever it is, it could be a multitude of things, but when I hear something that's hard to hear, something I want to do, something I'm trying to do, is to first pray about it. I don't get this right often, but when I do get it right, it makes a huge difference because the, the, the conflicting thoughts in my mind, God will, will bring clarity to. He'll calm my emotions and it'll be clear how I should proceed. When I get this right, it makes me want to get it right more often. I want to be a person who prays first when I hear what I don't want to hear. When Samuel prayed, God clarified for him how he was supposed to proceed. This is, this is what happened next. Verse 7, And the Lord told him, Listen to all the, that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they have rejected. They have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they're doing to you. 
Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel was displeased, but it was really God who was dishonored. His people were yet again turning their back on him and going their way. They they were submitting to a a second-class substitute. They rejected God as king. Now, before we think we're holier than they were, there are times where we reject God as king and we replace him with something else, don't we? It could be we expect a professor to have an answer to all of our questions. Could be placing a pastor on a pedestal of perfection. Could be looking to a president as our only hope for peace. But when anyone or, or anything is on the throne of our lives, if it's not God, it's not good. It is not good. Our problems aren't mitigated, they're magnified. As Samuel warned the Israelites next, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and his attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. It's here that we see the point of this story and the unfolding story of God. Careful what you wish for, because it's not what you want. The Israelites wanted a king, and they expected the, the king to do all these things for him. But God tells them that, that when he's not king, when someone else is a king, when a human is a king, this is what's going to happen. Uh, he's going to take your sons to serve in his army. He'll take your daughters to cater to his servants. He'll take the best of your land for his attendants. He'll take your crops for his court officials. He'll take your servants and, and animals all for himself. And even he will take you to be his slaves. Samuel sounded the alarm. Careful what you wish for, because it's not what you want. But the Israelites refused to hear. They just covered their ears and went forward. The, The story continues. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll look like, then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. This account, as sad as it is, reveals a truth to us. When our minds are set, we settle. 
revealing the problem rather than resolving it. God was their king. God had led the Israelites into battle, through battle, victory after victory after victory. And they were not viewing him as their king. He had led them. He had moved in incredible ways, and yet apparently they never viewed him as the king that he was. Reading this makes me wonder, how many times have we uh, needed clarity around a decision? So we first talked to a, a counselor, a mentor, a life coach, but we didn't pray about it. Uh, we Googled uh, our spiritual questions, but we never searched the scriptures to see what God had to say. Uh, we pursued a relationship with a significant other or, or even our own kids to fill a relational void, but we never just sat at the, the feet of our Heavenly Father. Uh, we sought peace through mindfulness techniques, but we never meditated and memorized God's Word. Israel wanted to be like all the other nations. And, and he, God warned them of the consequences, but then He let them have their desire. You see, shortly thereafter, Samuel uh, anointed Saul as king, and the Israelites cheered because Saul was a head taller than everyone else. He appeared like he'd be a great king. God gave the Israelites what they wanted to reveal what they needed. And sometimes God does the same with us. Sometimes God gives us what we want to reveal what we need. Him. If you want to be like the Joneses, go for it. No one's stopping you. But if you want to be like the Joneses, you're probably going to end up like the Joneses. Gaining the whole world and yet losing your soul. Because comparison will take your joy. It'll take your peace. It'll take everything that's good in life. Jesus, though, Jesus offers a different way, a better way. And he, he said it like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Here it is. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Don't want to lose your soul by gaining the whole world, by serving a king that's going to take, take, take. Jesus invites us to follow him, the King of Kings, of, who, of whom the, the prophet Isaiah said this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, we're in need of a king. Uh, but, but the things that we put on the throne of our lives, if they aren't the king of kings, they're going to fall short. But when Jesus is king, when he is the king of kings, and that's true in our own lives, he is a wonderful counselor. He gives us guidance and wisdom as to how to proceed. He, Jesus is mighty God, promising victory, even when it feels like we're surrounded. Jesus is the way to the everlasting Father. 
He forgives our sins. He reconciles us to God. Jesus is our Prince of Peace, relieving the stress and the anxiety that we feel. So are you going to try to be like all the other nations? Or are you going to let Jesus be King? As for me and my family, Jesus is King. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for being the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And thank you for this account in your word where we see that we need to be careful what we wish for because it's, it's not always what we want. Um, you know what we need. And I ask that you would even uh, you'd transform our desires so that they're more aligned with you and your will. And would you help us not compare ourselves with others? Rather, would we just be so compelled by you? Would we follow you with our lives? It's in your name we pray. Amen.